Good afternoon, and welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Tom Wheeler, Executive Director of EPIC, the Environmental Protection Information Center. The Eco News Report is brought to you by the North Coast Environmental Center, publisher of our regional environmental newspaper, Eco News. And joining me in the studio to talk about how land use decisions affect our daily lives are Rob Homeland and Brian Heaton from the City of Eureka Planning Department. Welcome, fellas. Hi. Hey there. All right. We have two planners in the studio. Planning's not usually known to be a particularly exciting profession or a topic. I know that both of you probably vehemently disagree with that statement, but we're, we're going to try to make this as fun and sexy as, as planning can be. So to start off, tell a little bit of a joke, because apparently these fellows have never heard a joke about planning. So an optimist sees a, a glass as being half full, a pessimist sees it as half empty, and a planner sees a glass as something that was designed too big. Uh, Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Nice one. (laughs) All right. So now that the terrible joke is over, who are you and what are you doing here in the studios? Sure. So I'll get started. So I'm Rob Holm, the director of the uh, development services department of the city. So I'd say that Brian and I are both more than just planners. The development services department is community development, economic development, housing, mapping. So all the stuff in the city related to where things are and where things are allowed but also creating jobs and creating opportunities for people. So I'm the director and Brian is the associate planner. Wow, that was a good that was a good intro. I don't have anything to add to that. I am a part of that. Okay. Well, welcome fellas. Uh, so we're here to talk about planning. Planning I, as I said on the last show that I hosted is something that probably most people don't think too much about, but is something that affects our daily lives. And it's something that once you kind of realize that everything is because of a planning decision, it's like in the matrix when you take the red pill, right? You you yeah. go into some <laughs> enhanced state of the world where you can see that, you know, you have a neighbor as your neighbor instead of a uh, power plant because that's what we said could be in that spot on the planet. So planning is really important. It, it affects things like who your neighbors are. It also affects how our cities grow what our industries are. So if we don't have enough land zoned for light industrial, for example, we're not going to have a very large manufacturing base in a city. And you're probably going to be more reliant on other forms of industry to bring in money. So making sure that you have kind of the right recipe or the right mix is critical for a city to ensure that it's vibrant, to ensure that it's walkable, to ensure that it's a healthy place to live and raise a family. So this is, this is why planning is important to me. Does anyone else want to to give an explanation about why planning is important or why it exists? Sure. I know Brian has a lot of thoughts on that, so I'm sure he's going to have something to say. The the topic goes back to the early civilization of humanity and where we're going to build cities, where we're not. And, you know, the best cities in the world, places that people really like to travel to, are well-planned, whether you realize it or not. And so you're walking down a nice street you're really enjoying your experience in a city, it's because it was planned really well and there's certain development standards. Eureka in particular, you know, saw the peak of its development from the 1870s to the 1940s and, you know, our development hasn't really been nearly as substantial in the following decades since then. So that's, you know, really big picture from my perspective. I'm sure Brian can give you a lot more philosophy behind planning. Yeah, I would say there is a, a great place for every use and a good use for every place. That's a common planning saying, and it really gets you thinking. We have all these uses. We have residential uses, commercial uses, industrial uses. Where are we going to put them? Where does it make the most sense? In what instances do we want to separate uses? Maybe a chemical factory in a daycare. 
In which cases do we want to combine the uses? Maybe a neighborhood bakery next to an apartment building. There are many, many ways to go about it. At the end of the day, you can look right down between your feet. There is land underneath you, and every bit of it is in some way spoken for. People made decisions. If you're in your house right now, people made decisions to allow houses to be there. If you're in a commercial area, they allowed commercial. So it really just comes down to square feet. I think in square feet. I'm kind of cursed now at this point in my career. I just walk around and say, what are we using this land for? I know it's a little, it's a little out there, but... I also have the benefit of being Brian's friend. And so when, when walking around with Brian, I, I hear a lot about things like setbacks. And my house has been an example numerous times in, in, in PowerPoints given to the city about what planning looks like. All right. So it, it's about decisions. These decisions are codified in, in some documents somewhere. What are the nuts and bolts of planning? What are the documents that affect where I can build something and how I can build it? Sure. So in the early part of the 20th century, zoning as official regulations became new in the world, new in the country. And there were a series of Supreme Court lawsuits that validated that cities have the right to establish zoning districts and setback standards and building heights and all of that. And so since the mid-1900s, Zoning has become more and more prevalent throughout the U.S. to the point now where it's actually required in California that every city has a general plan and a zoning code. And for a little while there, I think our country got lost in too many rules that were too draconian and too prescriptive. And we started separating things out that don't really need to be separated from each other. And we started coming up with these really solid zones and say, over there's where people live and over there's where people work and over here's where people shop. And those things shall never touch one another. And it went against the way that the world was really built. So Eureka, for example, there are plenty of little neighborhood markets right in the middle of residential neighborhoods. According to our current rules, and since 1966, those have been illegal. They've been operating since then, so they're grandfathered. But as soon as they stop operating and they're gone for more than 90 days, they cannot be reestablished. And that's because of our old draconian zoning. So there's general plans and there's zoning codes to answer your question about the, you know, the specific documents that regulate planning. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump into zoning codes. The zoning code is, is really a recipe for your city. It says everything from how tall your buildings can be to what your setbacks are to your parking to your landscaping. And each individual spot or each individual part of it is can seem overly pedantic, overly precise, overly prescribed, but they really are our tools. It's not so much that there's a right and a wrong. It's about the community vision. They say, well, what kind of neighborhood do you want to live in? One thing I think is really interesting watching TV is if you watch the commercials, they're almost always in these mature neighborhoods. Another popular one is you'll always see the brownstones of Brooklyn. You know, so many movies are set like that. So many, you know, commercials for like sleeping pills and like arthritis medicine has someone on a front stoop, you know, talking to their neighbor. There's not a right and a wrong way to have a stoop. There's not a right and a wrong distance to have your house set behind a sidewalk. It really comes down to what do you want? And we can design regulations. We can put specific zoning standards, development standards, what we call them, in and then require require that to be constructed when people develop. I think at the most basic level, everyone has traveled to some extent. Everyone has been in some cities and some neighborhoods and, and thought, wow, this place is a drag. I would not want to live here. Conversely, I think everybody's been in some neighborhoods and some cities and say, wow, this place is incredible. Can I live here? Sign me up. And I think that's that's the real crux of it for me. So you said a, a zoning code was, was like a recipe book. 
what what is a general plan like? Can you can tease apart the difference between these two? Yes, the the general plan are the goals, really the goals and the vision for the community. So we have goals and policies that comprise the general plan. So you would say something like attractive, we want attractive neighborhoods or we want a mixture of of neighborhood commercial and residential uses. You know, those are great. They're they're policies, they're goals, they're easy to describe on the most basic level. The zoning code would say, for example, if you wanted to start a, a neighborhood bakery, this would be the process. You would need this permit and it would get processed in this certain way all the way down to the details of, you know, if it was not approved, would you be able to appeal it to another body? All of those real specific things, even including design review. There are regulations that would say, you know, what the entrance to your bakery would have to look like, potentially. Another way to think about it is the general plan is just broad goals. So you could say, you know, we will allow markets in residential neighborhoods. That's the general plan. The zoning code is the but part of that, you know, but they have to only be this tall and they can only be this big and they have to have loading bays in the back and they have to have a front door on the front side. And so the zoning code is the specifics and the general plan is the vision. All right. So, Rob, one, one of your reasons for existing is you're helping to shepherd in the next general plan and zoning code. Can you tell us about where we're at in this process? Sure. The state says that you have to update your general plan every 20 years. So we're on timeline to update our general plan in Eureka. But... We haven't really fundamentally updated our zoning code since the 60s. And so you're supposed to do your general plan every 20 years and then make your zoning code comply with that. All the past general plans through the past several decades have been pretty much the same thing over and over again. Not a lot of vision, not a lot of change. And so the zoning codes have stayed the same. This time we're doing a fundamentally new general plan very different vision, different goals, which will stimulate a very different zoning code. So where we are with that is the general plan is scheduled to go to city council for adoption in August of 2018, and then the zoning code shortly after that. So I imagine the public's going to have some ability to to participate. When are we going to see a draft of the general plan? Well, we've been to city council nine different times now. So we go. each one has <laughs> been over an hour long meeting. So there's been a lot of meetings like that. There's also been three public meetings for the general plan to date. There will be at least five or six more public meetings, most of them in front of city council over the coming nine months. That's for the general plan side. For the zoning code side, the last Tuesday of this month, we have a public meeting at the Warfinger building starting at 6? Six, 6 to 8. 6 to 8. So that's for the zoning code. That's the first public meeting for the zoning code. But we anticipate having at least one or two more between now and the time of adoption. All right. So looking at the general plan, what, what has the city council decided so far about the general plan? What, what can we look forward to? It's, if I was to boil it down to one statement, it's getting back to Eureka's roots. So you've got the Carson Block building. Everyone loves, you know, recently restored. The professional building that's got dominoes downstairs, big five-story building. Bank of Italy building and Ten Window Williams are directly across the street from each other. The Vance Hotel. Those are legacy buildings in Eureka that are big, beautiful buildings that we really like. Previous general plans, previous zoning codes said, while those are interesting buildings, they're too big and we'll never build anything like it again. This new general plan says, well, why not? We love those buildings. Let's build big again. Let's have some five-story buildings. Let's build up our downtown the way that it was originally designed to be built. So that's really the fundamental theme behind this current general plan is let's get back to our roots, see more downtown development. Let's allow neighborhoods and residential districts to develop the way they previously had. So Brian and I took a walk yesterday 
walked through a neighborhood, we found that about 75% of the houses don't conform with front yard setback standards that were established in 1966. 75%. That's a real problem. The problem isn't the houses. The problem are the rules. And so we're looking to go back to the way Eureka was built, not the way that the rules were established in the early 60s. So before we had the, the 1960 general plan, things were largely developed because of some sort of a market incentive. People made enough parking that they thought that they, their business would, would require. Is, is that kind of the model going forward is deferring to market-based incentives or what have you to, to determine things like parking or building height or setbacks? Sure. Well, building height and setbacks, I really want to establish those on what Eureka already has. Mm-hmm. I think the statistic is is that 80% of the buildings currently in Eureka were constructed prior to 1959. There's no need to apply new rules to those buildings. And if we have an infill project that's between two existing buildings, then we should allow that new building to be constructed the same way the previous buildings were. You know, Eureka's fabric is beautiful. It's fantastic. We've got a grid of streets. We've got sidewalks everywhere. We have a lot of really great historic buildings. We should not say that there's anything wrong with the way Eureka was constructed. We should promote more of that. And then on top of that, you know, looking into the future, self-driving cars and car sharing economy, we need to start thinking about parking standards differently. We need to start looking deep into the future, not just to the past. So it's a balance of looking forward and backward. Well, so on, on parking, that that's certainly one that will <laughs> that will touch off um, some measure of debate or controversy. I, I know that many business owners feel that that their business is limited by the amount of parking. And you'll hear that from old town businesses. You'll hear that from businesses in Arcata, that if we don't have a ton of parking, people are just going to drive to the mall and buy our goods there or buy their goods there. This isn't necessarily borne out by the the literature on, on parking. Can can someone tell us a little bit about what how much parking is is enough and what what is uh, our, what are good parking standards? A lot of work has been done on that topic, notably by Donald Shoup, a professor at the University of California, Los Angeles. And there are different ways to look at it. The traditional post-World War II view was to say city governments must mandate a certain amount of parking because if they don't, developers simply will not build it. The latest research and kind of what the, what the body of research has shown is that developers a lot of times will build what is appropriate for their development. They're the ones taking the risk, buying the land. They're the ones sinking millions of dollars into these developments. And they're unlikely to build a development that will flop if they really, truly believe that their tenants will require parking, or more precisely, that the customers of the tenants will require parking. So, And there's different ways to go about this, but the latest is to shift some of that decision-making over onto um, people that want to invest in their properties to make those decisions. Where we are, we're, we're kind of in, in the middle at this point in, in, our, in our thinking. We have really high standards now, and they're likely to be dropped down to some, some degree, but exactly how far we would want to take it and what would be appropriate for our community, that's something we haven't arrived at yet. Notably in California, there are some communities that have dropped parking requirements entirely in in commercial zones. I think one of them was Lancaster. They said in any commercial zone, go ahead and build whatever number of parking places you feel are appropriate. And they just left it at that. So that's one model. I don't know if that's exactly what we'll end up with, but that's out there. And to expand on that, you know, there, I've talked to a lot of business owners in Old Town, and some of them, I'd say it's really a vocal minority, say that there's not enough parking in Old Town. 
my response often is there are vacancies at the Bayshore Mall. If you want a ton of parking, you could easily pick your business up, move to the Bayshore Mall, and there's going to be a ton of parking. But here's the, the caveat to that. If you pick up the Bayshore Mall and you locate it right on top of Old Town, their parking lot takes up six city blocks. If you park in the middle of the parking lot, and you know, often the best space you can get is halfway up the row, you're walking an entire city block just to get to the front door, and then often walking another city block or two just to get to the store. So people that park in Old Town, if they park within three blocks of their destination, they're not walking any more or less than they would if they had gone to the mall. But they're walking on sidewalks the whole way and crossing streets instead of walking through a parking lot the whole way, or at least a, you know, a third of the way. So parking is a pretty complex issue. A lot of people have opinions on it. But the deep analysis, if you really look at all the research, is that you shouldn't design your city around parking. You are listening to the Eco News Report. I'm your host, Tom Wheeler, and I'm speaking with Rob Holman and Brian Heaton about the city of Eureka and planning and the future of the city. All right. So let's talk about some zoning things that you have your eyes on. You have this meeting coming up. What's the date? Let's plug that again. November 28th at the Warfinger from 6 to 8 p.m. And there will be food. There will be food, free food. And a lot of activities. I want to expand on that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, please. We have, what is it, a 40-foot by 40-foot map of the city? An enormous floor map. Cool. So you'll be able to walk around on this enormous map of the city, find your house, find, you know, Old Town, whatever it is that you're interested in. There'll be staff assigned to the map to help people identify parts that they're interested in. It'll have all the proposed zoning districts on that. There will also be a bank of computers with planning staff at each computer so that if you want to know how the proposed regulations will affect your home or your favorite business or your favorite part of town, they can sit down with you, zoom in on the parcel that's interest to you and tell you what the, the, the implications will be. So it's, it's not just a planner standing up in the front of the room talking kind of meeting. This is going to be a really interactive, fun meeting with food. And so we really encourage people to come if they care about the future of the city. All right. Participatory. Be part of your democracy. Go to this meeting. So looking at our zoning code, there there are a number of things that I, I know the office is looking at, and Brian has been writing a series of articles, and I think the most recent one came out in the Lost Coast Outpost about two weeks ago. Actually, today. Today? Oh, I've missed today's. Well, Brian, what, what are some things that you have your eye on as potential changes to the zoning code? Accessory dwelling units? Let's, let's oh, start man, there. You're, you're, you're lobbing me my favorite right there off the bat. Well, that's a mixed metaphor. <laughs> yeah, ADUs, accessory dwelling units, commonly known as mother-in-law units or second units. Basically, it's this idea. You have a, a normal lot somewhere in the city with a single family dwelling, regular old neighborhood, and you can construct a small cottage and rent it out separately, add an entire another unit. They can be attached. They can be converted from an internal portion. So maybe it was a house, two bedroom, two bath that then becomes, in a sense, kind of like a duplex. There are many ways to do it. And these are really exciting. This is something that has been around in California from a legislative perspective since 1980. And there's been these continual laws that come out. And the reason why they're so popular and the reason they've been seized upon by housing you know, advocates and, well, m much beyond housing advocates, just people in general, is that they have some huge advantages. They, they allow you to maintain the residential character of neighborhoods while at the same time allowing a property owner to have a new revenue stream. For example, someone on a fixed income can supplement their income by having a renter without having someone actually in their house. 
It's a huge benefit to anywhere from a college student to a couple, anybody who's looking for housing. And that's something that I hear a lot about. People say, oh, I'm having such a terrible time trying to find a place to live here. Why aren't they building more housing? Where are these apartment buildings? I would love a little cottage in someone's backyard. You know, might even have a little garden. Please get me a place to live. And as city planners, we don't build housing. We don't have a construction wing of, of City Hall. I can't do this. But what I can do is work with the regulations. And when people show up and they say, hey, I'm building a garage and I would really love to put a mother-in-law unit above it, it's exciting to me to say, yes, you can. In our current regulations, it's very difficult. We have all of these very overly constrictive rules about how your parking has to be and the height of an accessory structure. All these little tedious catches that prevent a lot of people from building housing. And that's exciting to me because if somebody invests their money, they put $100,000 or $200,000 into their property, they're spending in the local economy, they're benefiting themselves and their property, their equity, and they're also creating a, a healthy place for a person to live, which is really exciting. So to that end, that's going to be a big one. It's part of a housing strategy in California, and it's definitely a part of the housing strategy for Eureka. Well, let me tell you why it's exciting for me, and I'll, I'll give it the environmentalist twist, which is that humans need housing. And if we don't build housing in Eureka, we're going to push out and go into previously undeveloped lands. We're going to subdivide some rural parcels and have exurban development. And that is going to encourage vehicle miles traveled. It's also going to take what was once kind of wild habitat and turn it into human land instead. So if we are able to have accessory dwelling units, if we're able to increase the density of our cities, if we're able to kind of pack more people into our existing footprint, then we're going to have to convert less land from human-centric you know, cities and towns and housing and parking lots and whatnot. We'll need less of that on our landscape. We'll have, it, we'll have a smaller footprint so we can have more wild areas for us to go out and mountain bike and whatever in. Well, that's a real advantage for Eureka in that for the pro-development community, it makes sense to develop in Eureka. And for the pro-environment community, it makes sense to develop in Eureka. So we've got that going for us that I think everyone can agree that more development and more housing in the existing infrastructure of Eureka makes sense. You know, St. Joe's is looking for more housing for their doctors. There's a need for affordable housing. So not just ADUs, but then also housing in downtown, you know, upper floors of Old Town. It makes sense for the city to start to push towards that and get back to the roots of where Eureka originally started. And that that's another great point. If we have mixed development, right? So we have commercial space on the, the bottom floor and we have housing up top. That is a, a very common thing in most cities. And it, it's, it exists in Old Town, but we could have more of that. One of my favorite buildings in, in all of Humboldt County is right across the street from the Arcata Co-op. And the building's right on the edge of the sidewalk. And there is commercial space on the bottom. And then there's affordable housing for seniors on the top couple levels. It's fantastic. There's a little parking lot. It's hidden around the back. It's not obnoxious and upfront. To me, that, that's what we can do. And that's what I'm hoping that Eureka will move towards is, is that sort of model. All right. So let's say that I'm interested in getting an accessory dwelling unit. Let's talk a little bit about how that works. Who do I talk to at the planning department? How do I find out what I can and can't do? Well, first off, you would just contact the planning department. We're at the on the third floor of City Hall at 531 K Street. You're also welcome to call at 441-4160. 
and you will talk to a planner. We have a planner on duty is what we call them, somebody that's just ready to answer the phones. You can very quickly look up your parcel and kind of give you the rundown on what your options would be and, and what the process would be like. All right. So city city zoning changes, other things that you've identified, Brian, have been parking requirements for individual houses. Can you tell us what the current zoning code mandates and how that can inhibit good development? Yeah, absolutely. Parking, when we're talking residential, again, it gets into these we call residential development standards. Up until this point, we have required each single family residence to have one covered parking space and one uncovered parking space which has created, frankly, an an unnecessary burden for folks who might not want a covered parking space. They might say, hey, I live in coastal California. I have an old car. I'm totally comfortable having my car parked outside. And we have, in a sense, forced them to to build parking. So that's one challenge. Also, again, with the setbacks, we've required that you have a 20 foot driveway that leads up to every garage. But in effect, this is creating double the amount of of parking. If you park in your driveway, we've said, well, that's your driveway. You can't actually park there. You can't count that parking space. And the times that this runs into, people run into problems a lot of times is when they want to convert a garage. That's kind of the low-hanging fruit of accessory dwelling units is you'll have an old garage. It'll be a two-car garage, and you'll say, you know, I'm really not using that that much. I barely park back there anyway. What if I converted this to a little apartment? And when you do that, you would be, in a sense, destroying the parking that serves your house. So we say, well, that's okay, but you need to find a new spot for your, for your parking to serve your house. And then they say, well, it's great. I have a driveway. I'll just park in my driveway like I always park in my driveway. And we say, wait, no, 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 because those aren't parking spaces. So it's really a, just a simple matter of adjusting our regulations and getting rid of these really outdated, constrictive you know, traps that people fall into. Personally, I, I'm not at all concerned when people park in driveways. It's a very normal, uh, normal place to park. So it's very tedious. It's, very, it's a long, pedantic process. But the truth is, if you want to build something, you need to get through each and every last little zoning hurdle. And every hurdle that we can take away, you know, carefully and comprehensively and really looking at is, is a benefit to the community. You know, and talking about reducing development standards can be scary to some people. So I asked Brian to collect a series of stories for me. It's like every time you have to tell someone no for a really logical project, record that. And so Brian put together this great presentation that goes through probably 15, 20 examples of, you know, here's a guy that came in, wanted to do this project. Anybody looking at it would say that looks like a good project. Here's the 15 rules that said why he couldn't do it. And so each one of those, we went through and started identifying what are the big problems in creating good housing units in the city. And a lot of it came back to regulations that don't allow people to do things that their neighbors already have because their neighbors built their houses prior to the 1960s zoning code. And so it's a lot less scary when you look at day-to-day examples and say, man, that's logical. That should be allowed. That should be allowed. And we've got all these cases of things that the city hasn't allowed for the past several decades. All right. Well, I'm sure folks who are listening are now thrilled and excited about zoning and planning, and they are going to want to come out to your event on November 28th? Correct. 68 p.m. At the Warfinger. At the Warfinger. There's going to be food. It's going to be participatory. You can meet Brian. You can meet Rob, probably. 
yeah, all right, Rob's going to be there, good, and and help decide what the future of Eureka will look like. And you can see information on that on the city's Facebook page, Eureka Renaissance in Instagram, and the city website. There's all kinds of information if you want to look up the event. All right. Well, thank you, fellas. I hope to see you there. I'll be there myself. This has been the Eco News Report. My name is Tom Wheeler, and I've been your host for the past half hour. I was just speaking with Rob Homeland and uh, Brian Heaton about Eureka's efforts to make a livable, beautiful city through reforming the uh, zoning code. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. If you'd like to replay this interview or listen to my previous show about the city of Eureka and changing the, the zoning around the Arcata Plaza, you can go to the archives programs page at khsu.org. You can also subscribe to the Eco News podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast service you like for your own on-the-go listening pleasure. So thanks, as always, to Fred for engineering. The Eco News Report is produced at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Join us again next week right here for the Eco News Report. 